From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. Since everything went remote in 2020, you probably haven't missed seeing the faces of the folks who audit you. But would you be surprised to learn that the auditors actually miss seeing you? Yes, this pandemic has been hard on the tax enforcement community, and today we're going to talk about how that's playing out in the states. State auditors don't get as much attention as their counterparts at the IRS, but in a lot of ways, their jobs are even more complex, especially after the Supreme Court's 2018 Wayfair ruling that allowed states to charge sales tax on out-of-state online retailers. Today, we're going to be hearing from Greg Matson and Nancy Prosser, two senior executives at the Multi-State Tax Commission. This organization, also known as the MTC, was created in the late 60s by a handful of state legislatures to do research and to advocate on issues that affect multi-state taxpayers. For example, a lot of states right now are struggling with how to tax corporate partnerships, and as you'll hear, the MTC is working on ways to try to make this easier. Greg and Nancy spoke with Bloomberg Tax's Michael Bologna about the obstacles state auditors will face this year, and of course, we had to start off with what's on seemingly everyone's mind, staffing. The labor crunch that everybody's talking about, the great resignation and things like that. Well, that's not just a state government phenomenon, right? That's happening in, in companies, in business taxpayers. So the staffing issue, the labor shortage with respect to tax departments, uh, the, the fact that much of this is, is not being done in, in person yet, those things still are having an effect on how, how efficiently the audit progresses. Uh, so there's, there are clearly pandemic effects on the conduct of audits. I, you know, I'm hoping that that's beginning to ease or will begin to ease somewhat. Are states more comfortable doing remote audits now, too, or not? Or? Well, I, I, think I think what we're hearing from our MTC audit staff, first of all, is that they have found a lot of taxpayers are, are working as well as they can with the audit staff, that there's a, a really good sense that you know, most taxpayers are, are trying to be as responsive as they can, given the challenges that Greg has described. But, but yeah, I think you know, the technology is allowing for transfer of data in, in a more electronic form. And so certainly taxpayers and, and the states, I think, are trying to do everything they can to um, find those ways to exchange the data that needs to be exchanged and reviewed in an electronic form as much as that is possible. Yeah, and I would, I would add to that, Mike, that uh, I, was, uh, I was interested to hear from our, uh, some of our audit folks that uh, they miss being able to go out to the taxpayer, and, and it's, it's the interaction with the taxpayer at, at a taxpayer's place of business that they, that they miss. I don't know if the taxpayers are missing our auditors that much, frankly, but I know they just said, you know, they, they miss the interpersonal face-to-face interactions that they have. And then you think about a company that maybe doesn't have everything electronically, right? So their books and records and things like that are not all electronic. It becomes problematic if, if, every, if, that, if the employees of that company are all working from their homes, then you've got a logistical issue in trying to arrange a time to get to the records and things that are at a place of business. And, and I might add that I think the states tried to be really sensitive about audits during the pandemic, um, recognizing the challenges that taxpayers were having. And so uh, I think Greg has touched on this, but you know there is that sense of trying to catch up and 
get things done within the, the statute of limitations that are out there, uh, it's going to take some time to kind of get the system back sort of on track again. Yeah. Um, and you guys mentioned a little while ago uh, partnerships and pass-through entities as a possible theme for audits going forward. And I know the MTC has its own uh, project about partnerships. What's the complexity there that, that makes that uh, an area of concern for state revenue agencies? Well, well, one of the things that, that's fascinating to me as we have started this project concerning the taxation of, of partnerships is how little information there is within the state's Department of Revenues just about basic partnership law and understanding what is out there. So part of what we're recognizing as MTC staff is the importance of trying to educate as much as we can uh, staff in the Departments of Revenue, and that includes auditors, about how does how does this partnership stuff work? And what are these structures that are out there? And what are the issues, whether it's the sale of a partnership interest or how do you take care of sourcing and treatment of income flows? I mean, there's just some very basic information and just the complexity of the, the idea that we used to think of partnerships as a group of human beings that came together to, you know, be CPAs or attorneys or, you know, a doctor's group, um, now partnerships can mean these multiple tiers with other partnerships and corporations and other entities. Uh, it's just become a much more complex area of, of law. And this is where the growth is too, right? I mean, Right, exactly. You know, billions, trillions of dollars that are out there flowing through these entities. And, and obviously it's a challenge for uh, the federal government, you know, they, they have been focusing on this and, and trying to get their arms around it. So uh, the states are, are in there trying their best now to, to figure all of this out as well. Uh, sales tax, how, how is that going to go in terms of audits this year? I think, uh, am, I, am I wrong, but there's a perception that there, may, there are still thousands of sellers out there who don't understand the responsibilities um, and and they do have some liability conceivably in a lot of states, right? Right. So I guess the way I would answer this is first thinking in terms of Wayfair was decided in 2018. And then most states, it took them some time to update their laws, their regulations. And so, you know, you, you had it, you know, going into 2019. And obviously we've seen other states trickle over the years. So most audit cycles are three years statute of limitations. So if you do the math, we're, we're probably just at the beginning, at the earliest, of when states are likely to start thinking about, okay, we need to start auditing some of these folks in order to get going within the statute of limitations. So I think, you know, it's going to take some time for those to, to get through the system. And if there are disputes and litigation, it's going to take some time for us to see that. Um, the, the other thing that I, I know just from conversations that, that we have facilitated uh, through the MTC is that, you know, my, my impression is the states have really been thoughtful and wanted to proceed with the implementation of Wayfair in such a way that they're really trying to reach out and get those taxpayers who should be complying on the books and get them collecting and remitting as opposed to taking a really hard stand in terms of audits. Um, 
and and the other thing that crosses my mind, you know, auditors are, are pretty reasonable people in the sense of they're going to look to audit in those places that make the most sense for efficiency and, and that kind of thing, and kind of get the most bang for your buck. So I tend to think we're going to see, you know, definitely a focus on the marketplaces. You know, that that's where a lot of the sales are running through. And so I think we'll see more focus on trying to make sure those marketplaces are collect, you know, collecting and remitting properly um, and trying to find those because that's where you're going to have those high volumes of sales running through. And I, you know, I would just like to point out, Mike, that I think, you know, sales tax compliance efforts are going to be something that states are increasingly focused on for three reasons. You know, first is that there seems to be a, a growing trend of trying to either lower, substantially lower personal income and, and corporate income taxes or eliminate them in the states. And so those states that uh, that's going to put pressure on the other forms of tax that the state uses to fund government and government services. So that that's one area. Um, you know, the other area is uh, inflation, right? In, inflation drives prices higher. That percentage, that just flows through percentage-wise into the dollars that are going to be coming in, you know, from sales tax revenue. And then finally, uh, you know, states are, are exploring, you know, what should be their approach with respect to digital goods and digital services. And, uh, you know, states, I think, are still struggling with trying to apply older sales tax laws and regulations to very fast-paced changing technologies. Yeah, and you, you certainly see that in the kind of the legislation that we're hearing about at the beginning of this year uh, across the states. Um, well, here, here's my one curveball question for you. Uh, any thoughts about uh, income tax audits around work from home arrangements? I kind of asked that because last year, New York uh, sent out thousands of audit notices uh, trying to get a, a bead on whether or not a particular taxpayer uh, was actually working outside of the state and whether or not they had properly remitted to the state of New York. Is that, will we see some of that uh, in other states as well this year, I think? Uh, you know, that, I mean, that's not an area that we focus on typically because you're talking about, you know, personal income taxation. You know, I'll just point out that the MTC has had a model for, I guess, what, 10, clo- closing in on 10 years now for mobile workforce. And uh, unfortunately, you know, not not many states have picked that up as a model. And I know uh, that I, uh, later that informed sort of the effort to get something like that done uh, at the federal level, federal legislation. You know, I mean, Mike, that's obvious. I mean, that's a very interesting issue. And, and I'll, like you, I'll be curious to see how that how that plays out. Uh, in the compliance efforts among the state. One last thing I want to ask, too, about um, uh, resources for state revenue agencies. And um, and I'm thinking about, you know, the Biden administration has this proposal to give the IRS about $80 uh, billion more in funding to support their audit enforcement and other uh, collection a- efforts at that federal level. If, if that happens, we, we still don't really quite know, uh, will some of that conceivably flow through to the states and then secondarily, 
is sort of the discussion of better funding of the IRS, is is that having some impact on the thinking of um, uh, policymakers at the state level, thinking about we really need to, to do more in terms of resources for our, our, our local revenue agencies? Boy, I would, I would hope so, Mike, but I, my guess is probably not. Um, it, you know, it, it'd be nice if that was a trendsetter. Uh, certainly state legislatures need to think about the resources that their departments of revenue have available. Uh, the executive branch and the legislative branch, you know, they're the folks that establish state tax policy in their state. The, the departments of revenue, departments of taxation, they're, they're just trying to administer the policy that's set by those branches. So I would hope, I mean, we, this is a, a perennial hope, Mike, that, that they think about what is it that our department needs to be able to appropriately administer. And frankly, there's a big customer service component to that also. Well, I, I go back to my days at the Texas Controller's Office and uh, when the current office holder, Controller Hager, came into office and was able to successfully request additional funding from the Texas legislature to invest in um, amongst a variety of things. But you know, one of the areas was the audit staff and having funding for a dedicated career ladder because there again, a strong audit staff that's knowledgeable, that knows how to handle the nuances of, of taxability and dealing you know, well with taxpayers, that, that just is a, a great recipe for a successful you know, revenue stream, but also taxpayers and their representatives want those kinds of knowledgeable people in the departments and they need that support. So. Um, just from what I experienced personally, I'm certainly a proponent for hoping that at both the federal level and at the state level, there's the investment in those in the Departments of Revenue and the IRS because it it's so important to just helping everybody with compliance and and getting things right and and that's at the end of the day, of course, what everybody wants and the least amount of burden and risk. Can we can get the right amount of tax collected and paid that's due and let people get back to their business and back to their lives? Yeah, Mike, I, I just what something Nancy said reminded me, you know, one of the things that I think there's there's pressure on this, and that's the, the tight labor market. And it's important for departments of revenue to retain their knowledge, you know, their their knowledgeable and their skilled tax public sector folks, because. I can tell you from having had conversations with tax practitioners in the state area or whatever, they would much rather prefer to deal with people that have some experience, that have the knowledge and skills to be able to help work through what are often very complex issues. And if, you know, and if, if there's not the resources for the tax department to, you know, pay more or provide uh, or to attract and retain uh, very talented people, uh, that's not going to be good. That's not going to be good for the states. It's not going to be good for taxpayers either. That was Greg Matson and Nancy Prosser of the Multi-State Tax Commission speaking with Michael Bologna. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. The website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz, and Jeff Harrington. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening.
The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl Podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.